I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 14th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, residents in the capital city tell officials how they feel about the ongoing water crisis, then understanding the risk of long COVID, plus how a historical marker in Clinton is connected with an 1835 slave insurrection scare. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Last night, Jackson residents gathered at College Hill Missionary Baptist Church to express frustrations and ask questions regarding the city's plate water system. For close to two months now, Jacksonians have been living under a boil water advisory, depending and depending rather largely on bottled water. Jackson resident Evelyn Ford shared how she picks up water at distribution locations to deliver to her neighbors. But while visiting one of the National Guard's water distribution sites, she says she was denied because there were already packs in her car. Ford says she was soon confronted by a state law enforcement officer. She shared her frustration with Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba. I felt humiliated. I said, we're already having a hard enough time. As it is, now I'm asking for water for somebody else, and you're telling me you're going to restrict me. Let, let me say this. First and foremost, you're not begging for water. I know. You deserve it, right? Uh, and nobody should make you feel like you're begging. Nobody should make you feel as if you're simply trying to take advantage. Right? Uh, not only are you trying to resolve a challenge not of your own making for yourself, uh, but there are other people that I'm sure that you're uh, supporting uh, with that water. I, and I, I, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I can't put that water. That's too yeah. much water to put in my house. And the cost of gas. Yeah. I fill my tank up two times trying to go around to get water. I'm glad that you shared that because, you know, this is what I've called kind of this cycle of humiliation that our residents have suffered from, right? Not only the circumstance of feeling like they're begging for something that, that you need and that uh, you honestly pay for, right? Uh, but also the adjustment in your life, right? The adjustment of what time you may leave work or what time you may leave before you go to work. If you have children, 
the arrangement of when your children are going to be dropped off or picked up. If school is out, uh, considering whether or not you can stay home with your children, whether your boss is, is sensitive to that. If you work in a service industry, whether or not they shut down and whether or not you, you now you know can't go to work. So these are all cycles of humiliation. And so part of our effort has to be to restore dignity to people, right? So that you don't feel like that is you know, you're begging, right? That no one makes you feel that way. The antiquated and crumbling water infrastructure is arguably the most high-profile factor contributing to the city's water woes. But recent staffing challenges have exacerbated the situation. Ronald Gilbert, who lives in the city and is a former supervisor of the O.B. Curtis Water Treatment Facility, addressed the mayor about those staffing concerns. You have the people here that can do it, like we used to do before going to the schools. People coming in with, I'm switching from men, but people coming from other places saying they don't have the technology or the people to run in this city like the auto plant or whatever. They are here. Somehow they're not getting advertised to. I've been trying to reach, and the group I'm kind of with is four or five other of us, including the, the old lab, the previous superintendent, lab, the laboratory superintendent. Some of these people are still working. They're working other places. Okay, they were ran away. They were run off. And like what you're saying here, for the six, seven, six years, yes, but man, there's right now kids in our elementary schools, they need to know how wonderful this job is, how this field is really good and technical. And you said part of it, because I bet you know more about what you ever wanted to know now. Yes. You know, but you say it's also one of the most interesting for a couple other reasons, not just this membrane and surface water, but you got a well system attached. And these waters don't like to mix. Yeah. They make another problem when they go through pipes and they make another problem. And you have a reservoir that was incorrectly created that makes this water the most bizarre water in the country. The sampling required to check water safety hasn't begun, so it's still unclear if the boil water notice will be lifted before the weekend. An independent watchdog in the Environmental Protection Agency says it's investigating the troubled water system. The EPA's Office of Inspector General says it will conduct interviews, gather data, and analyze compliance with regulations, policies, and procedures. Governor Tate Reeves has made a formal request to the U.S. Small Business Administration for assistance to businesses affected by the water crisis. Mayor Lumumba's office expressed gratitude for the move. Coming up, understanding the risk of long COVID. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The coronavirus mitigation strategies that were introduced during the beginning of the pandemic are all but gone now. 
Vaccines are widely available and transmission and fatality rates remain far below their peaks. But a Mississippi nephrologist says COVID-19 still poses a threat, especially to those who aren't vaccinated. Dr. Otis Gowdy is the former chief of staff at Anderson Regional Medical Center in Meridian. He says that population is at higher risk for long-lasting symptoms or what's commonly called long COVID. Long COVID uh, is typically uh, symptoms of COVID, such as fatigue, uh, weakness, um, headaches, that are typically after uh, the series of, of being under COVID, which is usually a month to, uh, to six months. So that long COVID is anything after about a four-week period, uh, we'd be starting to deem that a patient has having symptoms of long COVID. And those symptoms would be uh, fatigue, uh, shortness of breath, headache, what we call brain fog, uh, problems with memory, um, and can even be uh, symptoms of continued with cough, um, decrease a taste and smell. Have you been able to determine why these symptoms linger? We have not. Uh, that is one of the um, biggest concerns that we have about long COVID is that we cannot tell who would be affected by those symptoms uh, and who would be uh, who would be at risk of having uh, long COVID. Uh, that's why we're striving for vi- vaccines and preventing people from getting uh, COVID because we cannot determine who would uh, have those symptoms of long COVID. What we have been seeing is people who have had really no health conditions are healthy, uh, come down with COVID, may not necessarily be hospitalized and still have symptoms of brain fog, fatigue, uh, decreased appetite, can't restlessness, um, and can't sleep. Those are things that we're seeing all across uh, the board. They can last from several weeks to several months. I have encountered people who are still uh, over six months and are still having those symptoms uh, of, um, of fatigue or can't smell. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues um, is still having issues with um, not being able to smell. And they've been, uh, been dealing with this for at least four months. Do some people overcome it? Yes, uh, they do. But we can't give a definite answer as to who and when. Uh, we're still learning the effects of long COVID, but we're seeing it more. So now, because uh, these are symptoms that we're seeing from people who may not necessarily be hospitalized. Uh, We are noticing that um, people who have not been vaccinated would, you know, be seeing some of those symptoms more so than people who are vaccinated. Um, That's why we're still striving to um, have push the vaccination uh, program, making sure people uh, don't get the virus in and of itself. The long COVID, um, You know, we see with people who have health conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma, COPD, we understand that they have those underlying conditions so that if they undergo COVID, those symptoms can become worse, uh, let alone uh, can uh, lead to this long COVID effect. What's been more striking to me are people who are generally healthy and have do not have underlying conditions. What we've been seeing with uh, post-COVID effects have been uh, increased heart conditions from racing heart conditions to um, 
having issues with, uh, you know, cardiovascular, heart disease, and strokes. So we're still learning the effects of long COVID. We do know some of the more common effects of long COVID, but we're still learning every day uh, how people who are four, five, even six months out from COVID are still experiencing um, those effects from the gamut. I ran across a report that said there are a lot of people out of the workforce right now because of long COVID. Right. We are seeing um, people who are not able to go back full force uh, to what they were doing, uh, let alone are able to do um, exec- sometimes even executive functions uh, from typing to computing, um, let alone just the physical fatigue, but that mental uh, fatigue and what they're calling the brain fog. Uh, is becoming more prominent to where um, they're seeing how it is affecting their work and their development. And they're either having to step away or step aside from what their normal tasks would have been. And I feel, especially as we're going into this next um, flu season, and this would be marking our third official flu season uh, with, uh, you know, in this effect. And, you know, that is still a general concern that, um, we will be seeing more and more of these effects from uh, COVID, post-COVID symptoms, meaning that we may not have as many people going into the hospitals per se, but we'll still see people being off of work, staying off of work longer. Um, And uh, that is a general concern as it affects our workforce moving forward. What are you seeing when you treat patients for kidney disease that may be related to long COVID? Uh, we're still seeing things such as uh, fatigue, decreased appetite, uh, and still seeing the symptoms of um, memory, fo- memory fog, uh, as well as um, decreased taste and decreased smell. So we're seeing all of those things. Patients who have kidney problems, and we're dealing in Mississippi as a community where uh, we have one of the highest incidents of uh, kidney disease, more likely due to high blood pressure and diabetes. What's unfortunate is there are a lot of people who are living who don't know that they have issues with their kidneys because there are no symptoms. However, what we have seen is that this virus has uh, escalated uh, people who have issues with their kidneys in and of itself. So we want to be aware that if there are underlying conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, that you definitely uh, take care of yourself, get the vaccine, wear the mask, wash your hands. Because that the virus we are seeing is escalating other chronic conditions and some conditions that some people may not necessarily be aware of. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important to point out about this? Vaccinations reduces the emergence of variants. Uh, more unvaccinated people are at a greater chance of getting COVID, and that spreads and mutates the virus. We're striving to keep that at two things at bay, the virus from spreading, let alone having it to mutate. So if you have not get, gotten vaccinated, please be sure to get vaccinated. Nephrologist Dr. Otis Gowdy, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. We really appreciate your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, how a historical marker in Clinton is connected with an 1835 slave insurrection scare. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A 60-year-old historical marker in Clinton piqued native Douglas Richardson's interest. It told the story of an early Clinton settler by the name of Robert Bell, who, upon his death, granted freedom to Vincent, a mixed-raced enslaved man in his custody. So the retired physician-turned-historian decided to dig deeper into the stories of Robert and Vincent Bell, and that led him to an 1835 slave insurrection scare. Douglas Richardson is presenting his research today at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums. He previews what led to the 1835 event and how it ties back to a former enslaved man in his native town. There was a talk among uh, certain of the slaves in Madison County, Mississippi, uh, probably as the result of a pamphlet that had been written by a man named uh, Virgil Stewart describing the life and adventures of a criminal by the name of John Morrell. Turns out later that this pamphlet uh, was largely made out of whole cloth and invented by Stewart. But nevertheless, it described uh, this criminal, John Morrell, who was head of a so-called mystic clan, and their plan was to inspire a slave direction, a slave insurrection, uh, on Christmas Day, 1835. Now, their plan was to create this uh, insurrection as a diversion, so Morrell and his mystic clan, consisting of all white people, would uh, be able to burn and loot as the slaves uh, uh, rebelled and gained their freedom. It was a preposterous story, but it was believed by a lot of people. This pamphlet was released in the spring of 1835, and it took hold uh, in Madison County after there were some discussions among some of the slaves about about the rebellion. And so what did he do, or what was the concern about him? The rumor of the uh, slave rebellion took hold in Madison County, and a committee uh, was formed in Livingston, Mississippi, uh, as an extrajudicial, extrajudicial uh, court or a so-called kangaroo court whereby slaves were interrogated and uh, the evidence used to convict others, in particular white men. So this insurrection ended up uh, taking the lives of almost as many white men as it did slaves. Unfortunately, one of the slaves who was victim of this uh, terror was Vincent Bell. So he was killed? Yes, he was. He had been freed under Robert Bell's will in February of 1835, and he did not survive more than six months later when he was uh, taken up as part of this uh, insurrection scare and was hanged. I'm, I'm wondering, why would Robert Bell think that he could free Vincent Bell and he would survive in Mississippi? Well, um, Robert Bell, in his provisions of his will, uh, gave Vincent $100 so he could be transported to a free state. 
but Bell, probably out of allegiance to Robert Bell's widow, Susan Kane, and his young daughter decided to stay in Mississippi to help uh, look after them. And so all of this story is behind the marker that you saw. Yes, it is. How did it, how did it strike you when you found all of this out about your hometown? Um, well, it's been a surprise, but uh, I think all of history should be discussed and should be explored so we can learn from it. Uh, just as my researches in the Clinton riot gave me a whole new perspective of the historic significance of that event, the importance of the discussion uh, from the 1835 insurrection scare was the danger that we run when we discard uh, the elements of the civil law and we start making exceptions about how we process uh, matters in an extrajudicial form and what uh, what detriments uh, to our society uh, can result from that. What exactly do you mean by that, when people don't follow the law? Was there really any law involving these types of issues in Mississippi? There were laws, uh, but the reason uh, probably for the need for extrajudicial kangaroo courts was the fact that much of this testimony regarding a slave insurrection came from the slaves themselves. And under prevailing law in 1835, no testimony from a slave could be used in a court of law to, uh, to uh, bring white men to account for their actions. But in this situation, it was used. In this situation, it was used extensively. Was the information true, or did they feel, were you able to find out if they felt compelled to say what they said? Uh, they were compelled because uh, many of them were beaten and tortured. So it may not have even really been the case at all. That's true. In fact, uh, one of Mississippi's earliest uh, noted historians, John Claiborne, thought that the Virgil Stewart pamphlet was a complete hoax. Were you able to find out why there was this desire to put fear into the slave owners? I think it was uh, part and parcel of, of our oldest, uh, most prevalent, and continuing national pastime, the conspiracy theory. So I think it was a time of uh, extreme paranoia on the part of white slaveholders in the Deep South. The uh, Nat Turner Rebellion was just uh, five years in the past and well within recent memory. And uh, the slave population of Madison County at the time outnumbered the white by about 50 to 1. So there was a great deal of paranoia and fear on the part of the white slave owners of any threat, not only to their personal safety, but to their economy. And, and so, so I think these rumors uh, took a life of their own in the background of the uh, Stewart pamphlet, and then uh, tragedy ensued. What would you say to folks who say, what benefit can come from bringing all of this up and would rather not have history books include, like you said, these types of tragedies or have this information shared? It only makes people feel bad and harder to get along with. 
Well, I would counter by saying the the only thing new is the history that you don't know. And uh, history is important, both uh, the good along with the bad, because without focusing on the more unpleasant aspects of history, we're doomed to repeat them in the future. All right. Well, Douglas Richardson, retired physician, and you've done a lot of um, medical work, as a matter of fact. I had a very uh, satisfying practice, and uh, for years it was my passion, but after my retirement, I needed a new passion. And so history, which I've always been interested in, has kind of filled in the gap for me. Well, thank you so much for being willing to speak with us about your research and what you have unearthed. Well, thank you, Desiree. Thank you for the invitation to talk to you. Douglas Richardson is presenting his research today at noon at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.